The following views expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent the views of DOD or its components. Pay attention because you are now listening to Permission to Speak Freely. 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 So when, when me and Damon initially, you know, wanted to start the podcast, what we wanted to do was like just have a palatable conversation for like people that could just straight up understand, just kind of like real talk, understand what we're talking about. And um, so recently, uh, I always say I picked up a book, but it's like really just audio books. But um, so I recently came across a book, right? And it was about PTSD, The Soldier's Guide to PTSD, How to Know Shit, Reclaim Your Life. And um. You know, when it comes to books about PTSD and stuff like that, I normally expect a lot of medical terms and jargon that I'm just not used to. But when I, you know, as in an audio book, when I get to an F-bomb within the first 60 seconds, I'm like, yeah, this is for me. Like, this shit is going to yeah. be good. You know what I'm saying? And then I realized, like, as I'm reading a book, though, it's not, it wasn't really about the F-bomb, you know? It was about the conversation that you know, we decided that we could have, and it was super palatable about something that's not always very uh, palatable, right? In that book, the author spoke to, like, just spoke through that book, right? Audio book, so you get a professional audio book reader. But I, I was like, yo, this, whoever wrote this book, I can hear her voice loud and clear. And that author is Virginia Cruz. And we have Virginia Cruz here with us today. So, Welcome to Permission to Speak Freely. It's so, so, I'm so happy to have you here right now. I am really thrilled to be here, team. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, Damon, you you good over there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm great, man. I'm, I'm very, very excited too, man. Like, one thing about this book, when when um when I was reading through it and going through it, it kind of relates to more than just, you know, PTSD. Like knowing yourself, right? In order for you to get help, in order for you to do anything, you got to identify it, right? You that's what that's your first step, mm-hmm. knowing that's that you have something, you know, something is going on with me. So that's just a little, a little, little, little sneak peek, man. Just identifying though, identifying that that you know, this this could be me. I could be like a lot of times we sit, we hear it on TV, we hear it from my friends, but it's hard for you to say, you know what, this could be me too. You know, this could be something I'm going through. And then the fact of um, you have some identifiers out there and, and you hit it on the head when you said, like, some people think they have to have eight different things, you know, to qualify for PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not, it's not. So I was, I got educated, you know, so I, I love the book, man. I love the book. I yeah. love to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And, and I really value because- So we were talking before the show, what I love about your show the most is that you're really talking to the fleet and you guys clearly love sailors and, you know, because nobody becomes a podcaster for the money or the fame, you know, you guys are in this because you love this, you love sailors and you love communicating with them. And, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about PTSD and especially as it pertains to the Navy. And, and that's something I take pretty personally, you know, as a former naval officer. So, you know, I often, you know, I think the number one thing that I hear, you know, about PTSD is that I don't deserve to have PTSD. 
or that PTSD is somehow reserved for maybe the special warfare community or, you know, for people who, you know, you know, we pejoratively call people fobbits or, you know, folks who were, you know, maybe on a ship or whatnot. It's like, oh no, I don't deserve to have PTSD. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nobody deserves to have this. You know, I'm, I'm a really nice person. Like we're all, you know, doing this for the love of what we do. None of us deserve to have PTSD, but PTSD is something that happens to you, not something wrong with you. But something that we do within the military community that I don't hear in other communities is that we trauma compare, you know? And so this is the idea that we say, my trauma is more traumatic than your trauma. So that's not something I'm going to hear like at a battered women's shelter. It's not something I'm going to hear with refugees. Um, But we do hear this within the military, you know, oh, you only... You know, you only when you know you only deployed to Iraq. Well, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. Well, you were yeah. only in one training accident. Well, I was in four. It's like shit. This is not a contest. This is not right. a contest. Can we agree that all trauma can suck, and it sucks equally, and it and it it hurts us in different ways. And a lot of times, I think the Navy is left out of this conversation. You know, there's this belief that. If, if you didn't serve, you know, if you weren't in ground combat with the Navy SEALs, you know, capturing Osama bin Laden, that somehow you are not worthy of having PTSD. And that's just a lot of crap. Um, now, I want to be really clear. I don't think that people are being malicious when they mm-hmm. say, you know, my trauma is more traumatic than your trauma. I think that a lot of times, especially for sailors, we're not believed uh, when we come forward and we, and you know, and this is especially yeah. for women, especially for sailors of color and those who identify as queer, we are not believed. We, you know, mm-hmm. there is a lot of gaslighting that goes on with mental health. It is what it is. Um, but we're not believed, but there are unintended second and third order effects when we trauma compare. So most importantly, it discourages folks from getting the help that they need because everyone can come back from their PTSD. Everyone deserves to heal from their trauma. So, but, you know, so when, if you're hearing folks who are trauma comparing, maybe just a gentle nudge and saying, you know, knock that shit off because that is not, it, it's not only not helpful, but it's hurtful and it hurts other sailors. And especially when we hear chiefs talking about, you know, junior sailors hear everything. I remember when I was enlisted, I heard, I listened all the time. You know, it's like raising kids. They hear everything. Sailors are just really smart. So, yeah. And and, and our older sailors, they compare a whole lot, you know, uh, like intergenerational, you know, they they trauma compare a whole lot. Like, well, you wasn't here during World War or when I was in Vietnam or right after, you know, Gulf War, September, like these sellers, what is, you know, what do they have? What are they? Because so because that brings me to like when I was on shore duty, um, I, I had to do a project for film school when I was in film school. I called it Duty Blues and it was uh, about sellers with PTSD mm-hmm. and it was an E.T. Two, I want to say at the time that I spoke to E.T. never, you know, never saw combat. He's like, yeah. He was like, you know, I got PTSD. You could do it on me. I'm like, yo, dude, you don't have PTSD, man. Like, 
you know, and that was, and I'm like, how does he have, I'm like, so I started asking him, like, yo, were you like in combat or something? He's like, no, I, I, I never, I had PTSD from before I joined the military. And I said, okay, so, and, and at this time in my life, 20 some year old E5, I only thought that PTSD could come from like, like, like you said earlier, like just being a Navy SEAL, just being in the shit. I did not know. I'm like, how did this guy get PTSD? And it's crazy because all I did was go on Google. <laughs> like, I was like, hey, hey, Google, like, can like somebody get P- PTSD that wasn't in battle? And it was like, yes. You know, it's like, it could be from some sexual, it could be, you know, a lot of different things that would give somebody PTSD. So that was the beginning of my education on uh, PTSD. Um, what was the beginning of your education on PTSD, Regine? Oh my gosh. Well, hopefully none of your listeners want to be a trauma therapist when they grow up. Mm-hmm. That that certainly wasn't my goal. So I started out, I was enlisted in the army. Um, I'm an Arabic speaker. So I started out as an army interrogator and was pretty busy right at the beginning of the war cycle. And after my third deployment in 2008, I was uh, stationed in Germany and I had a bit of an incident and I was voluntold to go to mental health, which, um, you know, didn't really end well. So spoiler alert. So I was really actually glad to have the opportunity to go to mental health because I knew something was wrong with me. Uh, I was drinking all the time. I was picking fights with people I really care about. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Picking fights, at blowing up my perfectly awesome marriage. Um, picking fights at work. I wasn't sleeping. I was paranoid. I knew that something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. So I went to, I I was living in Germany at the time and I went to the local hospital that was serving troops. And I got to talk to a no shit full bird colonel. So there's an 06 type uh, military psychiatrist. I was, and I was so excited for the opportunity. Now, this guy was what what we in the Army call a slick sleeve, meaning that he didn't have a combat patch. And I poured my heart out to this guy for my, you know, my 50-minute hour. And mm-hmm. because I knew that, that something was wrong. At the end of that 50 minutes, he eyeballed me and he said, Virginia, I can tell that you are really struggling, but I can't help you if you don't choose to be honest with me. Mm. And so I asked for some clarification and he said, you know, we, we all know women don't serve in combat and yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it's worth noting that before this happened, I was already suicidal. I I was thinking of killing myself all the time. I already knew something was wrong. I was, I got kicked while I was down by another soldier in uniform. Whose job is to help. Mm. Precise. And we have to remember, too, there's such an unequal relationship there. You know, here's a very senior field grade officer, mm-hmm. medical professional, mental health professional, and me. And so I was diagnosed. I was uh, I was escorted out of the building. That that all didn't end very well. Oh, you, and I was di- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was diagnosed. I'll show you. I'll show you combat. You want to see combat? <laughs> you know, I was, yeah. I was already not okay, and uh, that was that was my straw. And um, yeah, it was. I you know I what did I do? I jumped right into a bottle, and yeah. I realized at that moment. 
I, you know, that was kind of my, my come to Jesus moment. I was like, oh shit. Like if I don't figure out what this is, it's going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to no shit die. If I don't figure out what this is, I'm either going to kill myself pretty likely, or I'm going to slowly go crazy and unravel. And I was terrified uh, of that. And so I made a decision in that moment. I went back to grad school because that's, that's what folks in the Intel community do. We just keep going back to school. And uh, so I, I went to graduate school and, you know, here I am, what I don't do math in public, but 14, 15 years later talking with y'all. And I wish that, I wish that my story were a one-off, but what I have found is that, you know, unfortunately this is, this is pretty ubiquitous experience of, of folks going to mental health or folks being a voluntold and, really being gaslit, told that, you know, you don't have a problem or you have an attitude problem, or, you know, maybe, you know, PTSD is sort of a roots and fruits problem. So if you think about like the roots of a tree and then, you know, you see the fruit on the outside, you know, the root can be in trauma, but what we see in sailors is maybe the underage drinking, we're seeing the bar fights, we're seeing the DUIs, Mm -hmm. we're seeing the domestic violence calls. Um, you know, that's what we're seeing. Uh, you know, we're seeing the UA, the unauthorized, you know, people that's going AWOL. And, you know, that's that's what we're seeing. And a lot of times this is rooted in trauma. And it, gosh, I made it, you know, what when I wrote this book, when I wrote The Soldier's Guide to PTSD, I really wrote the book that I wish that I had had. Mm-hmm. When I started this journey, because I made every single mistake that you could make. I mean, not, not to brag, but I blew it up. I was awesome. <laughs> I made every single mistake along the way. And, and that's not okay. You know, and y- you're all having conversations with sailors all the time. And, you know, as, as I was telling you before the show, one of my NCOs told me, um, you know, when I was young, much younger, you know, hey, are you, Cruz, are you picking up what I'm putting down? You picking up what I'm putting down? I was, and I never forgot that. And I think when it comes to PTSD, we're not having those really authentic, very real conversations. You know, like you said, uh, Dama, when you went to Google, yeah, if you go to Google and it's like, okay, what's the outcome of somebody who has PTSD? It's like, oh shit, I'm probably mm-hmm. going to kill myself. Um, you know, this this will not end well. Spoiler alert: this will not end well. Um, but that's that's really not fact. You know, what we know is that PTSD can be treated most of the time. Um, but maybe we have, you know, we this fantasy about what treatment looks like. Mm-hmm. And, a question I often get from readers is, you know, well, how am I supposed to forget about my PTSD? And it's like, oh, okay, so that's not a thing. The, yep, that's not right. a thing. So the goal of PTSD treatment is not that we develop some sort of amnesia, which would be awesome. Can we get? Can we be real about that? That would be awesome if we could forget being raped or trafficked or being sold for drugs, or being hurt, or being, you know, harassed. That would be awesome if we could forget that. But the the goal of treatment is to get to the point where our symptoms that keep us 
keep us from our everyday life. So keep us from our roles. Keep us from being a great dad. Keep us from being a great NCO, a great sailor. Um, you know, the hypervigilance, the nightmares, the flashbacks. What The goal is to get those under control so that we can continue with our no shit, walking, talking, everyday life. And really, and, and that's the, you know, the subtitle of our book, no shit, reclaim our life. And we absolutely can do that if we have the facts, if we have the no shit facts about PTSD. Otherwise, you can do what I did and, you know, chase my tail for a while and for a long while and feel really suicidal and then, you know, get volatile to go to, you know, to substance abuse treatment, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, that and that's the goal of the soldier's guide to PTSD. It's just to say, listen, you know, you don't, you don't have to live like this. Yeah. So I think, I feel like when you started, I feel like I heard you mention before that when you first started, like after school, you were speaking a lot of that medical jargon and a lot of those terms and you kind of course corrected and start and, and decided to like, let me break this down in a way that I would understand it based off what your NCO uh, said, like that he inspired you that are you picking up what I'm putting down? Right. That was a thing, right? Where you, yeah, I, I read that. I'm listening. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to overspeak you. That wasn't my intent. No, um, that's cool. But yeah, I, I really, I've never forgotten that. Yeah. You know, um, one of my first gigs that I got out of school, um, you know, we have to do all these internship hours and practicum hours, which I is wise because you don't want somebody just running around your head. But I ended mm-hmm. up teaching. And I started teaching at an inpatient psychiatric facility that served active duty soldiers, sailors, even coasties, um, who were really struggling with, for the most part, post-traumatic stress disorder. And my job was as the, the psych ed teacher to kind of teach, you know, the, you know, what, what is PTSD? What is it not? And they gave mm-hmm. me this curriculum and, uh, you know, and, and you've, you've all been to You've all spent, you've all done your time in Newport. So you've spent your time on the podium, you know, teaching and learning how to teach. And what I found in my podium time uh, there was that, wow, all this medical jargon, you know, I've got, I've got the stare, you know, I'm, I'm just getting the stare and no one's picking up what I'm putting down. So my goal was, you know, how can I, how can I translate this? How can I translate medical ease, PTSD ease into English so that people mm-hmm. can pick up what I'm putting down because sailors are smart. Holy shit. Sailors yeah. are smart. We train, we train sailors how to fix jets. We train sailors how to fly drones. We train, we, these are some of the smartest young people full stop. Mm-hmm. They absolutely can learn about PTSD. This is not rocket surgery. This is a lot easier than than going to A school. This is this is not difficult. And you know, I really think that when when we give sailors those tools to understand like this is what PTSD is, this is what it's not. And here's what you can do. Here are your courses of action. You know, and I promise I'm not going to pull out an ORM chart, but we can really, you know, I mean, this is, it's like, okay, here's COA alpha, COA beta, you know, 
here we go. Here are your courses of action. Here's what you can do. You know, what are you going to choose? What is going to work for you? What is going to work for your sailor? What's going to work for your unit? Because all roads lead to Rome. This, yeah. you know, we have three evidence-based treatments for PTSD. So an evidence-based treatment, and I'm sorry, I'm geeking out on you. I get super yeah, no, excited. Yeah, that's great. I do. I geek out about this shit because it's like, holy shit. Yeah. And, and more people need to hear it. Like more people need to hear about it. And that's what really kind of touched me with the book because like I said already, it was palatable, but it was palatable because it was from one service member to another. Like it wasn't like I was talking to somebody and they was giving me a sermon, like from a, a sermon from a mount. Like it was like, oh, this is like, yeah, yeah. like this, it almost felt like we just leaning over in, in our racks and you just kind of breaking some stuff down. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, you know, that's, that that's was really, really good. Even, even the EBTs, the, you know, the evidence-based treatments and some of that stuff that I know you, you know, you're about to talk about. Well, I'm super excited yeah. because we're going to give all of your listeners a link to download their own copy of the audiobook. The, the full book? Yeah. yeah. They get the full book? Oh, man, I'm jealous. That's <laughs> They're getting the full book? Why not? Why not? Is this is, yeah, no, you guys good. love sailors, really and what yeah, more gift it. can we give to them than to empower themselves? Yeah, and, and y'all need to read it. It's 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 super easy to read. Listen, um, yeah. and, the, and the book is easier to, uh, not easier, it's just as easy to digest as the audio book, because I took a second to look at the book. I said, oh, man, this I, I could read this a million times, too. So you wrote it. You sell-approved it. You wrote it in a way that was so easy for us to kind of digest. I and I appreciate that. that. I, well, thank you for saying so. You know, sailors don't have a lot of time, but they all have a commute. For the most yeah. part, you know, let's, can we, can we get real? So a lot, yeah. and this is something I think you had said, uh, Damo, that it's three hours. You, you know, for, for some of your sailors in the DC area, you can knock this out, you know, in one afternoon on, on yeah, the beltway. Yeah, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. One afternoon and then reread it. Uh, and, and like what I liked the most is you started clearing the room, in my words, you started clearing a rumor mill first. So let's start off by talking about what PTSD is not. You yeah. know, let's start there and then we work our way from there. So I did appreciate that. I Thanks. There are so many rumors about PTSD that they're just so ubiquitous. And mm. what really, what really chaps my ass about the rumors is this isn't, this isn't just the scuttle. These are things that I have heard from other licensed mental health professionals. I say again, other licensed mental health professionals. I was like, the fuck? What? No. No. Your job is to, you know, and and it's like, it's like hearing again, you know, we all know women don't serve in combat. It's like, really? Really? It is. It is. But these, these rumors are out there and it's not okay. And, um, one of the number one rumors and the number one rumor that I put in the book is that PTSD has no cure. And that's not true. You know, so we believe, you know, and, and I hear this in so many, in so many ways, uh, and I, there's one sailor in particular who comes to mind and, and I actually had a vignette of her in the book, um, that, that you might remember. She, um, 
brilliant young lady. And she had tried all, she, you know, she had tried all evidence-based treatments for PTSD. And I was serving on something called a, a, you know, kind of a combined treatment team. So that's when everybody gets together and we, we, we try to come up with what's what. So I, I sat down with this young woman and I talked with her and she was getting drummed out of the Navy um, for, for her PTSD. And she had tried all the evidence-based treatments and they hadn't worked and it didn't make sense. None of it made sense. She's really bright. She was smarter than her peers. Um, She worked really hard and it wasn't adding up. So I sat down with her and I asked her what we call in the book, the big two. So these are the big two questions that we have to honestly ask and very honestly answer before we can even try treatment. So the big two questions are, do we believe change is possible? And do we want to change? And those are not, mm. you know, ugh, those are cringy. They're cringy. Wow. We break, yeah, those are, those are feeling herders right there. You know, that's the, how does that make you feel sort of afterwards? Yeah. And, and I sat down with her and I, and I asked her the first question. I said, you know, do you believe it's possible that you could work with the treatment team and get to a point where your PTSD symptoms have gotten manageable enough that you could stay in the Navy? She looked right at me. She said, no, I know that's not possible. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is when being an interrogator always helps. Like this is the most analogous skill set ever. <laughs> so I, I, I didn't react and I was like, you know, inside I'm shitting myself, but I was like, tell me more. And she said, well, you know, my psychiatrist back on base and and yeah, yeah, not to be disclosed, but, um, my psych, I'm not, not mine, not the same as Germany. So not that, (laughs) but, but a very large Naval facility, my psychiatrist back on base told me that, you know, I can, I can go through all this, but at the end of the day, there's no cure for PTSD and I'm probably just going to end up killing myself. Damn. Yeah. This is, and and this sailor was at 18 years, by the way, Hmm. outstanding service, Hmm. outstanding service, getting drummed out right before retirement and didn't want that. And so I was like, all right, let's start the re-education campaign. Let's, let's talk about this. And I explained to her, you know, what the goals of PTSD treatment are. Yeah. You're not going to forget this, but PTSD certainly, we can certainly get to a point where you are able to manage. In fact, this works for most people most of the time. So kind of circling back to those evidence-based treatments, even in the department of veteran affairs, which is the biggest bullshit bureaucracy full stop, okay? (laughs) We have three three evidence-based treatments for PTSD. So that's prolonged exposure therapy, cognitive processing therapy, and then something called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Ooh, big words got an acronym, EMDR. Mm -hmm. So these three evidence-based treatments, evidence-based treatments are... They're tested a lot in the way that we would test like a a vaccine or a drug trial. So, um, you know, these were developed decades ago, you know, like, for example, prolonged exposure was was developed for the Israeli army. Um, 
you know, this, and they have been tested. So they've been tested, you know, you know, these long trials over a long period of time out of decades, thousands, literally thousands of service members to see if they work. And then the person who does the study will write it up and then we'll see if it's replicated. And what we know, what we know is that there are three evidence-based treatments that even the VA is like, yeah, yeah, these work for most people most of the time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we'll break it down and we'll just, we'll just use the Pareto rule, you know, 80-20. 80-20. So it works for, you know, we've got three, three courses of action that work for most people most of the time. So we've got our course of action alpha, you know, we've got EMDR, course of action, you know, Bravo. We've got, you know, prolonged exposure and then the cognitive processing therapy for Charlie. So let's say that you have a sailor who goes and they try prolonged exposure and then for whatever reason, it doesn't work for them. And there are a lot of reasons why evidence-based treatments don't work. We have, it's 20%. If I had an 80% chance of winning the lottery, I absolutely would play. But I would also play if I had a 20% chance. It's huge. I'd buy five tickets. I'd be okay with that. So we know, and when I say we, therapists, researchers, we know going in, that there is going to be a significant chunk of people for whom that evidence-based treatment just doesn't work. And that is totally okay. Doesn't mean you're foobar. Doesn't mean you're beyond hope. It means that for whatever reason, and there are tons of them, that didn't work. So you get a course of action Bravo. You get a Charlie. Let's say you exhaust all three of of these evidence-based treatments that even the VA recognizes. There are a lot more evidence-based treatments, though, gentlemen. There really are. Um, You know, they're not accepted by the VA because, you know, the VA is not going to give you, you know, MDMA or ayahuasca or or pot. You know, that's just not a thing. Um, But, you know, we have the DOD Center for Excellence for PTSD Research. It's in San Antonio, Texas. So proud. And it's called Strong Star. And your listeners can find them at strongstar.org. And these researchers are unbelievable. And they are researching things like the God Shot, the Stella Ganglion Block. They are researching all of these uh, family-based treatments, different ways to skin the same cat. There are many evidence-based treatments. So if somebody goes through those three evidence-based treatments, say at their VA facility or their military treatment facility or you know, over in Norfolk, then that doesn't mean that they're shit out of luck. That mm-hmm. It means one of two things. Maybe it's not PTSD. And actually, this happens mm-hmm. all the time. This happens all the time. It could be something different. So PTSD is one of those disorders that always comes to the party with friends. So it's what we call a co-occurring disorder. It's a real joiner. Always shows up with its battle buddies. And the five most common buddies that PTSD brings to the party that, that I see in military service members is anxiety, depression, especially alcohol abuse. So we, we call these substance use disorders. We don't see a lot of that because we get piss tests all the time. Um, then we see OCD. That means obsessive compulsive disorders. And we see eating disorders, especially in men, especially in naval special warfare. So, so 
I heard, and I heard you bring that up before about the special warfare, and it made me curious because these guys are in shape, right? These are guys that's like in shape all the time, working out all the time, mm-hmm. and they have and they develop eating disorders from experience and research. That's what you know. We we is it like junk food, like bad stuff? No, that's a that's an awesome question. Thank you for asking. So eating disorders. Um, it's not just binging and purging, you know, mm-hmm. so this isn't just, you know, eating a bunch of junk food and, and then throwing it up like, and, and I'm not an expert in eating disorders, but man, let me, t- if, if you have a sailor with an eating disorder, please get them to mental health to get an eating disorder specialist, because it is by far, by far the most deadly mental health disorder there is. It will mm-hmm. fucking kill you. It will fucking kill you. Uh, yeah. But we see this with over-exercising. And yeah, okay. we see this with, uh, you know, I'm not going to the gym once a day. I'm going to the gym four times a day. I'm going to go do P90X three times a day. And I get it. So, so let's think about the why behind that what. So we remember that Criterion Charlie for PTSD is avoidance. And, and we'll get into that a little bit more maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes so much sense with PTSD. Because who wants to think about being raped or holding your buddy while they're dying or getting blown up? We don't want to do that. Who would want to do that? So avoidance makes a shit ton of sense. We will go way, way out of our way to avoid anything that reminds us of our trauma. Mm -hmm. To include really devoting ourselves to our workout, really devoting ourselves to micromanaging my diet really devote myself to intermittent fasting, really devote, and I am not throwing any stones. I realize that this is a feeling herder and, and, you know, direct all, all of your, your mean tweets to me, but we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this in a way that is not shame-based because this happens. It happens a lot and we need to not shut up about this. Eating disorders happen a lot you yeah. know, over-exercising, it's a control thing, just like OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. So we see this, and again, not an expert on OCD, want to put that out there. We see this a lot with uh, children who are um, survivors of trauma, and it makes sense. I may not be able to control if the adults in my life are selling me for opioids, you know, selling me sexually for opioids. But you know what I can control? I can control whether my figurines are a quarter of an inch by a quarter of an inch apart exactly. I can control whether I wash my hands 20 times. I can control, you know, tapping the doorknob. So think back to your, you know, your kind of your basic NCOs class classes. Um, you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? So we've got that triangle there. And at the bottom, we talk about the, you know, what, what we need. And then at the top, we've got this little pinnacle of self-actualization, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, down at yeah, the we bottom, about it. oh yeah, I mean, that gets shoved down everybody's throat, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. But down at the bottom there, we've got that safety and security. We need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. We need to feel secure. We need to feel structure. So you remember, you know, when your kids were young, uh, all your parenting coaches would say, hey, make sure that you, it's really important to give your kids structure, put them to bed at the same time, same meal time, same this time. 
And that's because the brain doesn't understand or really can't differentiate on kind of a meta level between safety and structure. Structure is very safe. Structure feels safe. Kids love structure. Some sailors love structure. I hate change. I'm a therapist. I'm not a fan. I don't like change. But when it change and PTSD, remember what we're reacting to. So, you, you know, when we re- redeploy, uh, you know, when we come back from the deployed environment, when we survive a trauma afterwards, there's, that's a lot of change. And we are just trying to fe- to normalize. We are just trying to get homeostasis, stability. And that's why, you know, we will avoid. That's why we will jump right into our work. That's why we're going to jump right into our PT program. And you, this is your great, this is an opportunity for you, Damo, to, to brag about your planks. Yeah, planks. yeah. Uh, hey, hey, everybody, world. <laughs> How would David say world? I did my planks, <laughs> um, you know, and... You know, I don't like to brag. If I did like to brag, I would say that I did these planks in three minutes and 28 seconds. But since I don't like to brag, I'm going to just be quiet about getting these planks in three minutes and 28 seconds. If you want to come challenge me, come challenge me. You know what I'm saying? I'm ready for you. I'm not going to mention the push-ups. I'm not going to talk about those push-ups. But I did those planks in three minutes and 28 seconds. Virginia, I got to, it's something else, right? I got to ask you about. So sure. my wife, she, my wife is in school. Uh, well, not in school. She actually got a master's degree now, but she's a social worker. Yeah. But um, so one, one day as a Christmas gift, right? And I think I'm a cool husband, but I brought her to DSM, right? Like as a Christmas gift so she could study. I was like, what do you really need the most? She was like, I need the DSM to study. So I bought it for her. You brought up the DSM, um, the, you brought up the five in your book, the DSM five, and it kind of changed, you know, the way that I move around. So, you know, somebody will say something to me and I'm like, well, is it like, is it in the DSM? You know, it's like, oh yeah. It's like, what DSM is it in? Is it in five? <laughs> if it's not, <laughs> if it's not in the hey, five, <laughs> hey. After I read the book, hey, I'm telling you, five. If it ain't five, don't even talk. Not to five, me. Yeah. man. You might have to go back. You might have to go back, man. <laughs> and now it's the five TR. So Tango Romeo mm-hmm. stands for text revision that just came out a couple months ago. But the definition, mm-hmm. um, it, it so PTSD didn't change, um. With, with the newest version. So still, the five, mm-hmm. the five. Okay. Um, so important, you know, especially for military folks. I don't know about you, but I love me some regulations. I do. I geek out on yeah. regulations. I love knowing my right and left limit. I like being able to see it in print and know that it's there. And the DSM number five gives us a definition. It defines what PTSD is. It gives us all the criteria. You know, what is it that you need to, what are the the blocks that you need to check in order to no shit be diagnosed with PTSD? And I think that's so important. I and and the reason why we're we're kind of harping on the five is the DSM from the four to the five, it changed significantly. Um, mm-hmm. the, the definition of trauma and, and the criteria for PTSD. So what will happen a, a lot of times is sailors who maybe went to mental health before uh, 2013, early in the war cycle, um, they went to mental health and they were told, yeah, you don't have PTSD. You don't meet the definition F you. See you later. Or worse, mm-hmm. maybe they were told they had an adjustment disorder 
which is something we see, you know, pretty often in those older files, which just, it, it, that's just a feeling herder. You know, it, it just, it's like, oh, you know, yeah, an adjustment disorder. Like I, I just don't get along with people. Like I, you know, it hurts my feelings. It makes me feel sad on the inside. Really? No, <laughs> no. So it changed a lot. And so it's very important, I think, for sailors to know that if you were diagnosed or more likely not diagnosed before 2013, I'm going to encourage you to give that another go. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that the DSM comes right out and says what trauma is. It defines trauma in the DSM. And that goes back to that rumor that, you know, hey, it, you know, if, it, if it's not combat, then it's not real. It's like, ooh, no, yeah. that's, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. So the DSM defines trauma as actual or threatened exposure to death, serious injury, or sexual violence. I say again, actual or threatened exposure to death, serious injury, sexual violence. Friends, that is a large umbrella. Yeah, that is good. a actual, large umbrella. Yeah. Actual or threatened. Actual yeah, or threatened. Yeah, Let's talk about that for a minute. So... A lot of your young folks, um, maybe they did spend a lot of time on the FOB. Uh, you know, using a con, I, I know a lot of your guys don't go on convoys. It's probably the best example I can come up with, but, you know, maybe we'll talk about your drone, drone operators or something to put it more in a more naval context. Mm -hmm. But I think about um, convoys all the time. So standard five-vehicle convoy, you, you go outside the wire of your forward operating base and you're a smart cookie. You listen to your S2, you know, you, you know, you're listening to your two shop. You know that, um, convoys get blown up all the time, that IEDs are a thing that you could get, you know, shot, maimed or kill. But by the grace of God, that never happens to you. Mm -hmm. You come back, you got your legs good on you. And so one thing that I hear is, well, I can't have PTSD, Virginia, because I've still got my legs. At least I came home in one piece. It's like, whoa, let's talk yeah. about that for a minute. So every time that we leave the wire, our body and our brains react because we know that there is threatened exposure to death and serious injury. Threatened exposure. Yeah. This could happen. You get in, you know, you're going, you know, through, you get incoming fire and the drill goes off. Um, you know, small arms fire, rocket fire. Well, thank God it didn't hit me. Well, guess what? You still puckered like a mother trucker when you heard the siren go off and you went into the bunker. Your, mm -hmm. your body and your brain reacts. Thank God our bodies and brain react to threats. And a lot of things, it's miraculous. It's miraculous. A lot of things start happening. So our our eyes, our, our heart starts to beat faster to get all the blood to our muscles so that we can get into that, what we call fight, flight, or freeze, which takes a tremendous amount of energy. Our eyes will actually dilate so we're focused in. Um our frontal lobes for the most, for the, you know, part of that processing, yeah. uh, you know, this ain't Disney, you're going out on a convoy. So memory, you know, just kind of this, yeah. you don't need your critical thought. This is why we forget. Uh, a lot of times people will not remember large parts of their deployment, will not remember large parts of their trauma. 
because your brain was in no shit fight, flight, freeze, and it was doing what it needed to do to keep you alive. And it worked because you're here. We're talking. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But every time you leave the wire in this convoy uh, example, your brain goes into fight, flight, freeze mode, whether you get schwacked or not. Whether you get schwacked or not. So then we come home and you know we're going through the entrance control point on base and all of a sudden we realize we're boxed in. Ooh. Yeah. That and so boom, of course that's going to cause a flashback. Of course that's going to to cause us some agita. You know, that is going to freak us the fuck out because our brain is doing its job. It is doing what it takes to keep us alive. So thank God we didn't get hit. Thank God we did come home. But actual or threatened exposure, you know, being threatened um, by a chain of command, being hazed, um, really violent hazing, which in a lot of cases we call sexual assault now. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was just hilarious. He was just teabagging him. No, we call that sexual assault now. We've got a new term for that. Um, Not hilarious, very traumatic. And you know, and, you know, being threatened to be raped, be, you know, my God, you know, these are things that are happening a lot. We have a lot of young, young sailors now. Um, When I was working in that inpatient facility, I was telling you about my first gig. I think one of the things that shocked me the most, um, there's a, there was a major uh, training facility um, within stone's throw of where I was working. And some of the trainees would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to commit suicide. You know, I want to get out. I'm done. And not realizing that they were going to, you know, be drummed out of the military and go home, which was unfortunate. Um, but a lot of them, when I, when I was talking with them and we have to remember that folks our age, you know, I mean, your, your son is, is a sailor. So we have to remember that, you know, a lot of these younger sailors coming in, they, they were trafficked during the opioid epidemic. I mean, I don't know about your community. I mean, a lot of communities, you know, we had the advantage of being in the military, but a lot of folks in, who stayed back home in their small communities were ravaged by, by the opioid epidemic. So we're seeing these young people come in with a lot of trauma, a lot of untreated trauma. You know, Dama, you were talking about the, you know, the interview that you did for grad school. So, boy, we are seeing stuff now that is not combat, but is really affecting the fleet. It's really affecting our sailors. And it's so important how we react and how we talk about this. And are we shrouding this in shame? Or are we having a no shit real conversation? Yeah. And that's that's yeah. that's a big point you bring up about the shame um, are we shrouding it in shame? Because a lot of people, you know, they they stand on a lot of pride. Um, I say ego, I say the word ego as well, but sometimes ego could kind of be built by you. But a lot of people stand on that pride and they just don't want to talk. They don't want to, or they don't feel like you care. You know, that's another big thing. Um, they don't feel like you care because there's so many of us that, you know, pry for the sake of prying to go back and talk about it or something. Cause you, 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 you even talked about it, you know, and we'll talk about it a little, a little later, but when you was like, it's no secrets, you know, it's no secrets at the command and it's really not, you know, you think you trust somebody, 
So that kind of closes the sellers up as well. Uh, I have another question for you. Hit me. Um, is if somebody comes and says, Hey, you know, I have PTSD. I don't have P- PTSD. Um, and I'm like, well, you know, how do you know? And they like, well, senior, I took the test. I took the PTSD test. Oh. Um, yeah. What should I be thinking about that? How should I be responding to that? When somebody comes and tells us something that's really uncomfortable, you know, it can make, we, first of all, we can, we need to get real, you know, mm. especially if we're not, I mean, if they come to me, I'm a trained mental health professional. This is my gig. I know what to do. But if they go to the chaplain, they come to their NCO, they come to their chief. It's like, Ooh, maybe we don't know exactly what to do with that. And so I think our first response is, you know, whenever there's an elephant in the room, I think it's wise to name it. And maybe, maybe the feeling that we're having in that moment, and this is, this is vulnerability. This is hard. This is hard. So let's, let's not pretend that this is an easy thing straight up, but just to say, wow, I'm not really sure what that means. A PTSD test. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm glad that you told me and I'm glad that you're talking to me and I'm glad that you trust me and we are going to figure this out together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, if I had a nickel gentlemen for every time I heard somebody say, well, you know, I, I scored high on the PTSD test. It's like, oh gosh, (laughs) no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Also, you know, there are a lot of PTSD tests given out and military treatment facilities and VA facilities. Yeah. So that might be where they got this PTSD test. I mean, this isn't a Cosmo quiz. You know, they might have gotten this from a legitimate or a licensed mental health professional, Hmm. um, which is tough. And in order to get a PTSD diagnosis, a lot of stars have to align. And we need to be honest about that. First of all, it requires a really authentic conversation on the part of our sailor. And that's not easy. There are cultural reasons. There's gender reasons. There's generational reasons. There's, there is a power dynamic when we're talking to a chief, when we're talking to a medical professional. There's a, there's a power mismatch there. It is a very vulnerable, very frightening place to be. And we're expecting our sailors to share their deepest, darkest, maybe they haven't even told Jesus, you know, they haven't told their spouse or their dog, anybody. Mm -hmm. And we're asking them to now talk to a commander or, you know, a colonel, mental health. That is really terrifying. So there has to be an authentic, that authenticity there. There also has to be a receiver, somebody who's receiving that who no shit knows what PTSD is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my, you know, well, you know, Virginia, we all know that women don't serve in combat. <laughs> you know, that, that was the no shit response I got. That's, I, ew, that's sick. That is sick. sick. That is sick. But we have to remember that's a response that a lot of our sailors are getting. And mm-hmm. it's not okay. It is not okay. And that's a big reason I wrote the soldier's guide PTSD is to empower 
You know, if you know what it is and what it's not, then when somebody goes, well, you know what? I, I don't, I don't think I believe you. You can be like, I got my book, you know, yeah. like, stop it, stop it. Yeah. But you know, there has to be someone on the receiving end who knows their DSM five or their DSM five, you know, TR Tango Romeo and, and knows trauma and is mm-hmm. willing to be in receive mode. You know, we need to be, we need to be honest about this. Not every, Ooh, it's going to be feeling hurter. You're going to get emails. So not every <laughs> mental health professional is great at their job. Yeah. Mm. Not max. Yeah, it's a job. It's a job. <laughs> skill level. You get skill levels there. So, just not, are, uh, yeah, not every chief's a great chief. Not every chief cares. Sorry, Donald, Ooh. please go ahead. Ooh. Yeah. I, you I, guys I, care? I, let me jump in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me, let me jump in real quick. So, um, if you guys didn't see how Virginia answered uh, Dumbo's question earlier, you know, just think back when you get this book and you read it, she got some great examples in there on how to handle certain situations. So make sure you guys get that book. Make sure you guys uh, read it. But I had, but I'm a, uh, Virginia, I'm a big fan of like not knowing everything. And and, and I explain it and I talk about that all the time. I don't try to know everything, yeah. right? Um, but what I like to do is, you know, point people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I think your book, uh, helped me out. Like, because you got the symptoms in there, like, you know, the flashback hallucinations, you know, uh, shame, you know, self-destruction behavior. That's, that's a big thing right there. You talked about avoidance earlier. So things like that is what, what educated me. So I can appoint them in, a, in the right direction. So, um, like I said before, that's that's the type of stuff is in the book. But man, like as a leader though, knowing those things right there and getting sailors or you know soldiers or whoever pointing in the right direction is is a is a big deal. Yeah, you know where it really helped me. Uh, it helped me in understanding flashbacks and hallucinations. Mm-hmm. I know you just brought that up, Damon, because mm-hmm. I always saw flashbacks and hallucinations on TV, right? Movies. And it's like, I went to school for film. So, you know, I'm looking at like, it's wonderfully shot. You know, it might be a haze in it. it but the way you broke it down, it, first of all, it was scary as shit. You know, this scariest thing in the book is I never felt like it's been a while. I read, I read a lot of books, but this is the first time I'm like, no shit. Like, this is scary. Like, I, I, I never went through it. And I, after reading a book, it's like, I do not ever want to go through it. You know, that was rough. Wow. Most definitely. And then the biggest thing is always, right? Do you want change? That I feel that every time you say it, I hear it, I read it, you know, like, do you want change? And that's 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 big right there. That's huge. Oh, it's a it's a feeling hurter. It's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, we can first of all, thank you. Thank you, Damo. And I do want to circle back to hallucinations because you're right, mm-hmm. they're scary as fuck. Yeah. They're scary mm-hmm. as fuck. And, um, you know, I think when it comes, so to break down the big two, um, because that is, I, and this is something that I no kidding use every day in my practice. Um, so when a new person comes into my office and they sit down on my couch, that's the first thing I want to know. Do you believe change is possible? Do you want to change? Because if, if you don't believe change is possible, 
if you don't think that it's possible for you, you're absolutely right. Right. Yep. You're absolutely correct. So I'm not sure if I use this example in the book, but it's one I'm thinking about a lot lately um, because it's after pandemic and pandemic hasn't been really nice to a lot of us. So I think about weight loss. Um, you know, do, do you believe it's possible that you could change your diet and get to, you know, increase your exercise, change your diet, you know, look at your macros, um, you know, write down what you're eating. Do you think that it's possible that you could change your lifestyle to the point where, you know, where, where you could lose weight and be within regs? Do you think that's possible? A lot of people would be like, Virginia, anything's possible. I could wake up tomorrow. The grass could be blue and the sky could be green. Anything is possible. And then we have to say, yeah, is it possible for you? Do you believe that that is possible for you? And then, and I'll, I'll just tell them myself, that's when I'm like, oh, you know what? But I'm going on through so much stress right now. Like we just ended the semester and, you know, you, you know, it's, it's just a donut. <laughs> it's like, oh, then, then we're getting, we're digging in. We're digging in. So when it comes to PTSD, when it comes to, and this, this sucks, this sucks. And especially those of us who have loved ones, um, who are struggling with mental health disorders or, or have kids and especially adult children. Um, this is, this is, this is hard. This is not a question that we can ask and answer for them. So a lot of calls that I get to my office are from moms and dads. They're like, listen, my sailor just went through some shit and she is having a hard time. Can you talk to her? And I have to mm -hmm. very lovingly tell them, no, no, because just because you see that change is possible and you know that they can change, this is something that, you know, I'm an expert in psychology, but they're the expert in them. And that when it comes to the big two, that's actually a lot more important you know, do we believe change is possible? Do I believe it's possible that I could get to a point where I can go to my kid's baseball game and not have a panic attack? Not, not am I ready to do that? Not, do I believe that's possible for me? Do I believe it's possible that I could, um, get my drinking under control? so that I can actually work on my trauma without, without being wasted. Do I believe it's possible? You know, just do I think it's possible that change could happen? Do I believe that's possible for me? And whether I believe it is or whether I believe it, it isn't, I am absolutely right. And this hurts. This hurts when we have folks in our unit, folks in our ship, folks in our family that we love because we know that that's possible for them, but you know, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't start it. We can't control it. We can't cure it. That we didn't create that. That is their journey. Then we get to the second part, you know, do I believe change is possible? Do I want to change? Because this is asking for a big commitment. Am I, are you willing to do no shit? Every single thing that the therapist tells you, are you willing to show up to your appointments to do the shit ton of therapeutic homework it's going to take? 
Are you willing to go to an inpatient facility if that's what's needed? Are you willing to talk to, to your chief and, and get some accommodations? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get better? Because this shit ain't easy. It's a lot, it's, but it's also not forever. Mm. It is not forever. And so there are a lot of folks who come across the big two and come across the book and, or they listen, you know, to the audio book and they're like, you know what? No, I don't, you know, if we're just being for real, I, I don't, I don't know if change is possible. I don't know if I want to change. I don't know if I can change. This is terrifying. Something is happening to me and I don't, I don't know. And that is totally okay. It is okay to be on the fence about the big two. What I ask, what I would ask those clients is, is it possible that you're wrong? Mm -hmm. Is it possible? Have you ever done anything in your life before that you thought was absolutely impossible and you came through it? Mm. Have you ever survived yourself? Have you ever survived a really rocky family of origin? Have you, have you ever, is it possible that you are wrong? Because if you're, if it's possible that you're wrong, and especially when it comes to suicide, we need to get very real about talking about suicide. The likelihood that somebody struggling with PTSD has not very seriously thought about suicide is so unbelievably small. We, we need to stop talking like, oh, do you want to hurt yourself or someone else? Because that's what they tell me to ask. Mm. Make the assumption that they have thought about it. But is it possible that you're wrong? Because if it's possible that you're wrong, that it's possible that schwacking yourself is not the right decision. It is possible that, that there is change out there. It is possible. You know, if, if you followed the yellow footsteps, uh, you know, through, through boot camp, if, if you pulled off a mission, if, if you, if something turned out the way that you didn't expect, is it possible that you're wrong? Just, you know, when it comes to, but we, you know, do we believe it's possible? Do we want to change? Are we willing to do what, what it takes? And are we willing to do what it takes? And that those aren't easy. PTSD treatment, that is not a cakewalk, but it's not forever. It's not forever. Evidence-based treatments for PTSD, 10 to 15 sessions. That means that if we're seeing a, a mental health therapist who specializes in PTSD, because you should know, get, get a specialist. You know, don't get a generalist, but somebody who no kidding specializes in PTSD after about 10 to 15 sessions with them. So if you're going every week, maybe two to three months, what the data tell us and the data are very clear is that most people will have a significant reduction in their symptoms and be able to resume to their walking, talking everyday life. Mm -hmm. Most people, most of the time. Now, we talked about kind of those outliers. We talked about that 80-20 rule. You know, if you're in that 20%, does that mean you're, you're like a football bat? No, you're, you're, you're not all fucked up. Is it possible that we could try something else? 
Is it possible that maybe we have to put down the bottle for a minute? Is it possible that maybe we have to look at something else? If we're working with a no kidding specialist and and the folks who surround us, because a big part of the book that we talk about is having that social support, surrounding ourselves with people who love us and care about us and how to make that social support if it doesn't exist. You know, can can we do that? Can we surround ourselves having having NCOs, having chiefs who know know the data, who who know this information, really care? Oh my gosh! I think about like my own life. I was just talking with someone about this this week. If what it would have been like for me personally, if when I was growing up, I had someone in my life who was going through it, who was having a, a hard time with stress or alcohol or or whatever. And that instead of the way they dealt with it, if they went and they got help, mm-hmm. maybe they went to a doctor, maybe they talked to their chief, maybe they you know, went to a therapist, how different my life would have been growing up. You know, if I had seen somebody handle their shit well, instead of, mm-hmm. you know, in my case, just kind of jumping into a bottle and... and how different my life would have been. And that's the opportunity that chiefs have. That's the opportunity yeah. that NCOs have to be that example. Yeah. And break the cycle, oh. break some of those cycles. You know, like yeah. um, I know a lot of our chiefs had issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, you know, some of my senior chiefs, I talked about it on one of my podcast episodes about a senior chief I had who we clashed <sighs> Always, always, you know, me and him got into it. And then at some point I realized that, not even some point, years later, I found out that he was struggling with alcoholism the whole time. You know, so whatever, like, kind of, whatever it was from him that could have influenced me to kind of be like, all right, well, this is the way senior chiefs are, this is the way. And that's why a lot of times, like, you know, NCOs and some uh, branches, chiefs, senior chiefs, they get a really bad rap because a lot of us are just reenacting like our experience that we had from before. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things you talked about as well, my mom talked to me about just, um, she always worked in like the drug and alcohol recovery um, field. And she said like, your people not going to stop doing drugs until they want to stop doing drugs. You know, your family member could bring you to the drug, you know, facility, the you care facility, as, as much as they want. But until you make a decision like, hey, I don't want to do this drug anymore, um, you're going, you know, it's it's a thing until you know, until it's not. Another thing that you brought up was if you don't think you can, you won't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's a big deal. And that's something that I've been kind of um, subscribed to for a while. Anyway, even with you know sellers, like yo, if you if you're in a rough situation. And you don't think that this rough situation could change. It'll never change because of the amount of control that you have. Like you have more control than you know in this uh, situation. You know, one of the things that you brought up. So we had a guest on our podcast recently who was a survivor uh, from the USS Cole. That's cool. I saw that. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And he struggled with PTSD, Mm -hmm. you know. And um, one of the things, and I, and still, you know, um, I didn't fully understand it, you know, until I, like, again, I listened to your book because I had already listened to the book, but I listened to the book again after that. And then I listened to a, a, some other stuff and I got some more knowledge about it. 
But uh, one of the things you brought brought up in your book that I don't hear that much is freeze, right? So I always hear fight, always hear flight. But even him, he talked about, he's like, he said it. He was like, I froze, you know, for a second. I didn't know what, you know. And as obvious as freeze should be as an option, never really thought about it. You know, fight and flight are both actions. Freezing is like inaction. Like, I'm not doing anything. And I think about that because I think about the way the brain, you 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 brought it up uh, in, in the book, but it's like, the, the way I translated it was like, you know, I translated it like, your brain works like before the moment, you know? So I'm always like, yeah, if that was me, you know, I would this or that, you know, when I see him, you know what I'm saying? Like scrappy dude, <laughs> you know, it's all Scooby doing scrappy. Yeah, I haven't seen him. But, um, so it's like, uh, your brain, I just realized that aged me like crazy, but, it's, um, so you think about what you're going to do before the moment. Right. And then you know what you would have done after the moment, like post the moment. But you really mm-hmm. don't know how you will respond inside of the moment until it happens. You know, and I think that's where I got the free. That's what I took from you speaking about uh, that freeze aspect. And we don't get a choice. We mm. don't get a choice. You know, the military does a great job of, of trying to train the freeze out of us. That's why you're mm-hmm. always, you know, that's why you're doing drill after drill after drill on a ship to yeah. train the freeze out of you, to get that muscle memory in there. It's why we do live fire exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's why you drill over and over and over again. The, the whole point of that is so that, you know, when something happens, you don't freeze. But we don't yeah. get a choice. We don't get a choice. You know, the, the brain, you know, our, our brain will take over because our, our brain's number one job is to keep us alive. And let's face it, there, there's no outrunning a bullet. There's no outrunning a, a childhood abuser. There, there is no outrunning. Oh, you know, freeze is a very logical response to, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, in, in, um, you know, movement and fire exercise, you know, it's like, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. I'm up, they see me, I'm down. You know, the Mm -hmm. eye sees what is moving. And so freezing makes a lot of sense from a neurobiological standpoint, because, you know, if you think about, like, those, uh, I love those TV shows, like Wild Kingdom, where you see, like, the lions, (laughs) Um, yeah. you know, chasing gazelle snacks and whatnot. I watch that. Yeah, I, watch yeah, I that. love that <laughs> because you'll see one gazelle, you know, just right next to the lion standing stock still. And that takes a ton of energy. And then you see the other one farther off and it, it takes off and guess which mm-hmm. one becomes the gazelle snack. The one that ran because because the eye sees what is moving. I mean, if you've ever, you know, seen like a, a mouse in a restaurant or, you know, any, you know, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. Okay. So our, our brain doesn't give us a choice. It will freeze. And, a lot, you know, especially, I hear this a lot with rape survivors, uh, sexual assault survivors. You know, I froze. I froze. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of guilt and shame that comes with that. Well, because I froze, I deserved what happened to me. Because I didn't fight back. Because I fill in the blank. And it's like, honey, you did not get a choice. You didn't get a choice. 
And I hope that frees somebody right now who free, not freeze, but free Mm -hmm. will give somebody some freedom right now. If that is a stuck point that you've been thinking to yourself for, in some cases, decades, you know, our brain, we don't get a choice. We don't get a choice. Our brain is going to do whatever it takes to keep us alive, which brings us back to hallucinations like we were talking about before. They're terrifying. But PTSD is an incredible, it's very, very logical. And this is why I'm, I really love the idea of giving sailors resources. It is a very logical reaction to a very abnormal set of circumstances. So PTSD is not something wrong with you. It's something that happens to you. Something mm-hmm. happens, your brain and body reacts to keep you alive. So within the context of PTSD, and this goes under those re-experiencing symptoms, those intrusive symptoms, criterion Bravo B, um, our brain is going to do whatever it takes to keep us alive. So it makes a lot of sense that our brain, you know, we come back home and we're living our walking, talking everyday life. And then all of a sudden, maybe we smell something burning when we know that there's nothing there. We taste moon dust and we're at home. We hear somebody yelling our name. We hear the sound of a gunshot. Our brain will manufacture hallucinations. And this is when we see, hear, taste, touch, smell things that we ostensibly know are not there. We know it's not there. But our brain will manufacture this because we need to stay alert, stay alive. Remember, our brain's number one job, keep us alive. Number two job, to make meaning. But that is a far cry from number one. So this is your brain's survival mode. Your brain will manufacture all sorts of hallucinations, all sorts of things, nightmares, flashbacks, uh, dissociation. So dissociative episodes. Dissociation is 50-cent word that means disconnected. Mm-hmm. And this happens a lot with PTSD. You'll be talking with someone, and then all of a sudden, you'll realize, wow, they're not listening to me. They're out to lunch. Or, you know, we see this a lot with driving. Um, I'm, I'm in South Texas where the highways are long. And so, you know, you'll be, you've got the, maybe the radio on or the white noise of the engine, just the hum of the engine. And all of a sudden, we are someplace else, and it's like, oh shit, my exit was two, three exits ago. I have a long way to go back. We dissociate, we disconnect from what is happening. And that is, that's part of your brain survival method. And it is a symptom of PTSD. It's in the DSM. What that means is that this is a normal and expected part of PTSD symptoms. When I say it's normal, that doesn't mean it tickles, sucks, but we expect it. We expect hallucinations. For me personally, I have never seen a case of PTSD without hallucinations, Mm. ever. Mm. However, we watch great movies and we know that if, you know, if I'm hallucinating, that it's a skip, you know, hop, skip and a jump away to wearing the tinfoil hat. It's like, oh shit. I, you know, you know, I hear this wonderful expression a lot here in in South Texas, like hide that in your heart, honey. Like you don't need to be telling anybody about that. Just hide that one in your heart because that is a great way to get in a padded room. 
or get on antipsychotic medicine. And but hallucinations, it's a normal part of PTSD. And it's scary. But they yeah. it can be treated. It it absolutely can be treated. It is not a forever thing. It is your brain's way of trying to keep you alive. It's mm-hmm. it's a very healthy brain response. Yeah. And um, and I want what's up, David? Yes, I want to like bring up because you, uh, Virginia, you and Demo just brought up a good point. It just made me think for a second, like um, when you when you guys talking about Frozen, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and my mind started turning, like like think about the TV shows you watch, and you watching these crime shows, and you going and they talking to them about a crime, and first thing they talking about, I froze, right? So that that is just so on point when we talking about like anything. You can be reading a, a book papers, whatever, when it comes to, to trauma or anything, um, a victim or whatever, be like, man, I just, I just froze. I just, I just, you blanked out and I didn't know what was going on and, and all this type of stuff. So when you guys talk about that stuff, man, it just like triggers me like, man, you know what? I never thought about it like that. But now since you guys bring it up now, since I read it in a book, now it makes sense. You know what I mean? So that goes back to the education piece. I'm learning like so much every time, you know, you, we get in these conversations and start talking about this stuff. So it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Virginia, I got, a, I got a thought. I'm thinking about something you spoke about in the book. And it was about something as simple as going to the commissary, you know, oh. not being simple anymore, you know? And, and, and you know, I, 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 I don't have PTSD, you know? Um, but like that, like things like that grounded for me. Like, it's like, damn, like the commissary, like I can't go get, you know, my grandmama biscuits. Like, you know, my grandmama make the biscuits that you pop. And I, and I love these, you know, these pressurized cans. I love them. Like I go and I pop them and they, you know, but like, you know, just dealing. So that part, it grounded me, you know, and that, that stood out. So it's the things like that, that really stood out too in a book, like, damn. And that's, that was your personal story, that's- wasn't it? It was. So it is what it is. Um, I'm not going to be ashamed of it because it's my truth. So I um, I was around too many things that went boom. And when I was a kid, uh, on deployments, and when I was a kid, I was always terrified of pressurized dough. So those, um, those, you know, the muffins, the, or the biscuits, you know, cause there was just something really unexpected about that. It was just something that was like, pop, I was like, like, that's not okay. And, uh, you know, not that, not that any pressurized dough is going to kill me, but, um, you know, the brain works in really mysterious ways. And so I got it in my head and and I just, you know, with PTSD, one of my symptoms was that these very intrusive thoughts, so these intrusion symptoms, this criterion B, bravo, these intrusion symptoms, if you think about it like an intruder, an intruder breaks into your house when you're not ready for it, bring, you know, it, it, and, and just takes all your shit and your brain is in a bad neighborhood. Like this is happening all the time. So these intrusive thoughts and even if it was something really small, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I would obsess about it. And one of the mm-hmm. things I really got stuck on was pressurized dough. And I I just developed this really abnormal, like I was like, this is just, no, no. So I stopped 
So at first, and I, I didn't know it till here I am just jamming out in the commissary in Mannheim, Germany. And I was like, holy shit, there's all this pressurized dough. And I froze. I froze. Mm. I have seen a lot more dangerous things than pressurized dough, but there was yeah. nothing more terrifying <laughs> to me in that moment. And so, you know, yeah. I backed out and, and somebody even approached me. I remember they're like, ma'am, are you okay? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, we're cool. <laughs> no, like hard no, hard no. And then all of a sudden I stopped. Um, and the more I thought about it, the more obsessed I got about it because of that avoidance, that criterion Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so then I stopped actually buying dairy. I stopped going into the dairy section. I started buying, oh, we have Parmalat in Europe. And, oh. and my husband was like, what's up with this? I was like, it's good for you. He's like, all right, whatever. And he, I'm married to an awesome, awesome human being. Like, it's good for you. Just drink it. He's, he's amazing. And, um, but then, you know, every time I would, I, I, eventually I just got to the point where I couldn't even go to the commissary and it wasn't the fear of the pressurized dough. You know, it was starting to trigger a panic attack. I would pull into the commissary parking lot. My heart would start beating. I'd start sweating. My eyes dilating. All the blood is rushing to my muscles. I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm going crazy. Mm. Like whatever is happening here, I am not okay. I am not okay. And this was before we could, you know, place orders, you know, for curbside pickup. So it was, uh, you know, this... It was tough, but yeah, that, that was my story. The, the brain is nothing short of a miracle. The brain is absolutely miraculous in what it will do to, to try to protect us, whether it makes sense or not. Mm-hmm. So I've seen in like the recent time, I'm thinking about last year around this time, mm-hmm. like the wait times for a seller, you know, and I hate it. I'm, I'm, you know, as an electrician, you know, when people come get electrical tools, we do the service, right? And yeah. we got hours, right? Damon know that. We got hours. I can only come between 1300 and 1400 However, we get somebody at 1430 and they come and we give them the tools normally, right? Or they try to go get their chief or something, try strong on me. That ain't happening, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but we normally just give them their tools, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, but we get a seller that, you know, is going through something. Um, let's say it's mental health related. They might uh, think they have PTSD. They got some of the symptoms. They go to medical. And then it's like, I'm like, what happened? It's like, oh yeah, they told me I'm on like a wait list. I got like three months until they going to actually, you know, come see me or something like that. And it was a lot of that, you know, uh, around, uh, hey, Damon, am I right? It was a lot of that around Mm -hmm. last year, right? Oh yeah. Like, hey, go stay in the barracks room, hang up. Like, it it was almost like, do you want to be off the ship? Like, is that what you're coming here for? Weeks. Yeah. Like, are you coming just because you don't want to be on a ship? And the seller's like, no, like I'm actually going through something, you know? So I just want to know, like, how does hearing about like those long wait times and just the whole politics of just trying to get, you know, like service on like your most vital part of your body, which is your brain, the most vital muscle in your body. How does... how does it feel, you know, knowing that this is something you specialize in and knowing that people got to wait around for this treatment? That pisses me off. Yeah. It just, it makes me angry because I find it, I find it hard to believe that if you went to the commander of that unit and said, um, 
you know, I had a, I just had a sailor come in who said he was feeling suicidal and really wants to talk about his trauma. And he was sent away, told to come back in three months and here's his appointment. Mm -hmm. I find it very hard to believe that that commander would be like, oh yeah, yeah, that's just how it rolls around here. Yeah. But, um, you know, this happens. You, you, I very seldom hear about this happening with an officer or a senior NCO, by the way. I've never had, you know, a, a, a feel great officer say, oh yeah, I went to mental health and they told me to come back in three months. But this happens to junior enlisted a lot. Yeah. And disproportionately, it happens to sailors of color. And that's not me trying to be hashtag mean lady. That's the data. And that's not okay. That is not okay. You know, it's this idea of, you know, advocacy. Because if I send, if I send an officer away, or if I say, you know, yeah, I, I hear you're really suicidal, come back in three months. Yeah, that's no. They're going to go straight to the command. But if I have, you know, an E1, E2, E3 struggling, I'm going to blow them off. I find it so hard. I find it unfathomable. Unfathomable that a command would be like, oh, yeah, that's just how it's going. And especially with our current mental health crisis. You guys yeah. talked about it in your show on, um, you know, folks going AWOL, the, your debate about desertion, you know, yeah. about these, these mental health weights. And it's like, you know, most, most of the Navy is enlisted. Most of the Navy is under 25. These, yeah. are, mm -hmm. these are our sailors. And, um, you know, thank, thank God that your sailors have you as advocates. I, I would find it very hard to believe that if you went to another chief in that command and said, hey, I got someone who's struggling, that they wouldn't all of a sudden find a slot for them. Mm -hmm. um, and, that's, just, that's just where I sit. Yeah. And then I know, I know we move into what a lot of mobile, mobile mental health. Mm -hmm. um, resources, uh, whether it be via telephone or, um, internet, some stuff like that. Right. And, and as, as that, as that stuff, are those things working for people? The data are clear. They do. Um, okay. so especially when it works with PTSD care. So, um, up at strong star, uh, so the DOD center of excellence, um, in San Antonio, UT health science center, um, center for excellence for PTSD research. They have done a lot of studies on the efficacy of cognitive processing therapy. So that's one of those evidence-based treatments and prolonged exposure through telehealth through zoom. And what mm -hmm. they have found is that it works. So the, you know, the data are very clear, you know, and one thing I would, I would say also, you know, I, I work within a, a large mental health system in my day job. And so finding resources uh, for folks who are struggling is a real passion of mine because, you know, I'm just one of those, you know, just one of those folks who believes that everybody deserves excellent access to mental health. Um, folks at Strong Star, if you have any sailors who are seeking help, I, I would really recommend going to them. Shit, send me an email. I, it would be my privilege mm -hmm. to help someone get in the right direction. I have readers reach out to me all the time. They're like, I'm in Alaska. I'm in Norfolk. I'm in you know Maine. Can you help me? Yeah, absolutely. I can help you find someone. 
you know, we, when it comes to mental health, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just, this chaps my ass so bad hearing about this. And I know you didn't mm-hmm. mean to, but, you know, we're asking sailors to help themselves when they're already in a deficit. Yeah. We can't know our judgment is impaired when our judgment is impaired. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's just ridiculous. There are resources available, great resources available. And maybe it's just another mental health clinic. You know, for example, my my near, I, I'm close to San Antonio, Texas, where we have the Joint Base San Antonio, we have Bamsey, uh, and we have some sailors out there. Um, and then, but very small pockets. And then, but then we also have uh, the Air Force facility, Wilford Hall. And so sometimes I'll hear about like, oh, well, they're booked out three months ahead. But then if you just go 30 minutes south, you can mm-hmm. get in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And these are yeah. things that mental health professionals know that, you know, and folks, and why it's so awesome to have advocates, you know, to have, you know, really strong chiefs advocating for sailors. It's to say, hey, you know what? They're, you just sent my sailor away. And and you told them to come back in three months. I find that really hard to believe. What other resources are available? And there, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'd be willing to bet that they would say, you know what? Let me check. Let me see what other facilities. Yeah, because having a three month wait for a men- that's that's not a thing, especially if someone yeah. is in crisis. Uh, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. I got a, another question for you. So. You know, um, and this, I don't know if this is a good, a good question or not, but, um, they're all good questions, sir. Yeah. So as a, I used to have hair, right. I don't have hair anymore. Right. I'm bald. Um, but, um, when I, when I walk into a barbershop, you know, and I, and I go, if, if that first chair is like an older guy, uh, you know, nobody in the seat, but it looked like he runs the shop. He's talking, he's just going to keep that seat forever. Um, and then it's probably like, a couple more chairs and on the TV, they got ESPN on, on one channel on another channel. They might have a news, another channel. They might have like a Friday or next Friday on, and they got some real good music playing. The floor not swept as well as it's, you know, supposed to be. And they just talking about football, arguing about the latest stuff that's going on in music. I look around and I say, Hey, I'm in the right place. You know, I'm at, I'm in a, it got the right smell. You could smell uh, whatever they use to clean the clippers and stuff. I'm in the right place. This is where I need to be. Let's say that I did get, let's say I, you know, I, I read the book. I had the conversation with my wife. I had the conversation with my, with my kid. I believe that I do have a PTSD and I know that I need to get some help. Um, how do I know that I'm in the right place? I think you'll get that sense Mm -hmm. when it comes to talking about trauma, there needs to be a rapport. There needs to be a trust between you and your therapist, just like with you and your barber, you need Mm -hmm. to, you need to feel that they are listening to you, that they are picking up what you're putting down, that they Mm -hmm. care about what you're saying and that they have the no shit expertise to help you get better. That this is a no kidding expert. And in the book, we talk about how to find a mental health therapist because these, if you're already 
at a deficit, it, it is hard to call and pick up the phone. And it's like, well, what do I say? What is the script? What do I do? Uh, you know, so we've got those scripts in the book for you. But, you know, you can you can ask those questions. Do you do a little bit of vetting? You'd say something as simple as, you know, I, I had a really bad experience uh, involving an assault on my last ship. And I'm worried that I'm not handling it very well. And I'm afraid I might have PTSD. Mm-hmm. What resources do you have to help someone like me? And then listen. Mm-hmm. Listen. And hopefully they're going to tell you, you know what? I'm glad you came here. I'm going to listen to you. I've been trained in this. I've been trained, you know, I have these, you know, I have the specialized training in trauma. I have worked with military populations. I speak Navy. I speak fluent Navy. Um, you know, I can pick up what you're putting down here. And and I'm here to listen. These are the ways that I can help. And they, you know, this is it's like landing on a new planet and your therapist is your tour guide. It's to say, okay, this is a scary place. I know you've never been here, but don't worry, I've got the map. I have literally led hundreds of other people through this terrain and I got you. I got you. And this, this is how I'm going to take you through. And it is that feeling. It is that feeling of, all right, I'm in the right place. Yeah. And if you're not in the right place, it is really hard to be able to advocate for ourselves and say, you know what? This, this just isn't working. I've, oh gosh, I, I mean, I'm a therapist, so I hear a lot of therapy horror stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I, oh, I went to a therapist and I learned more about their marriage, their bad marriage than I did <laughs> to talk about my, you know, my PTSD <laughs> or, you know, and I've heard this a few times that, you know, I went and then they asked the same question twice, or I went, I even heard of one person, they fell uh, asleep and it's like, mm. damn, you deserve better. Yeah. Because our recovery's on the line. This this isn't you know, this isn't changing a fucking tire. Mm-hmm. This this mm. is this is your life. This is reclaiming your life. That I mean, I'll speak personally. The things that were affected with my PTSD, I tried to blow up my marriage. I started getting in fights with the people I love. I couldn't concentrate. I was a freaking, I, I wouldn't know, I don't know if I was a functioning alcoholic, for sure an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. I was not okay. I was destructive, self-destructive. I mean, I was just blowing things up left, right, and sideways. Your life is on the line. PTSD will kill you. I got a question. So, did you lose, did you destroy any relationships at that time that, you weren't able to recover? I did. I did. Mm. I lost a, and it's, you know what? And I own it. I own it. Yeah. And I'm in the process of making better amends. Mm. You know, I, I made a big mistake with a, a very dear friend, a friend who I've had since childhood. And I was, and I did, I mean, everything wrong everything wrong. I got up in my ego. I thought I knew better and I criticized her marriage. 
very mm-hmm. unfairly. I mean, I was a total shitbag. Mm-hmm. Absolutely no excuse. No excuse. I had been drinking, you know, the brunch that starts in single digit time, you know, so I think I started drinking at like eight. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. And I, even looking back on that now, I'm embarrassed to admit, I, I don't even remember what all I said, but I know that it was hurtful because I remember that that was my intent. Mm-hmm. And that was shitty. It was so shitty. And that relationship has never been the same. And I really deeply, deeply regret that. And I don't live close to home anymore from where I grew up. And, and our lives are very, very different. Um, yet I've been, it's funny you should bring that up because I was thinking about that just very recently in the last couple months, that that is one of those relationships that I blew to smithereens that I, that I need, not only do I need to make amends for it, but I want to, because she really deserved a better friend and and a better person. And I was just, I was very sick and that is no excuse for my behavior. I own it. I don't make any excuses for it. And I need her to know that that will never, ever happen again. And if you know, and if she, it's really her choice. And if she's like, you know what? Thanks, but fuck you anyway. Man, would I honor that? Because you guys don't know that type of asshole I can be, but I sure do. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't deserve to get shit. If I got what I deserved, I'd be really screwed. Um, but I certainly, um, yeah, I really regret that. Yeah. And then you talked about the marriage and before I even ask any questions, I got to give a special shout out to your husband for holding it down. Like he <laughs> held it down uh, as, as he, you know, as he, and I know it was hard, yeah. you know, but he held it down as he should have. He's a great, that's a special, special thing to do, man, for us guys, man. So some points for us and uh, is, you know, it's good stuff, but, I know that I know that you know because as much as it's something that you're dealing with, it now spews into something that everybody else is dealing with mm-hmm. as well. You know, mm. yeah. I um I really hurt my family. I'm very very close with my family. Love mm-hmm. my family, and I was very hurtful. Um, I was yeah really, and I'm not. I mean, I did a lot wrong. I did yeah. a lot wrong with my marriage and I really tried hard to blow my marriage up Yeah, and to be, fun. and I mean, I did everything but file. I was just mm-hmm. I, not okay. None of my behavior was okay. Yeah. None of it. And once I recovered and I, I had a little distance from that, you know, I, I went back and I looked at the fucking wreckage and there is this incredible man who is still, I don't know how he puts up with my shit. He's still active duty too. <laughs> and uh, mm. he's just so, he's an incredible man. And I don't know, it's nothing short of a miracle. I don't know how our marriage survived it. I don't know how I survived myself. I'm profoundly thankful. And, you know, it's not perfect every day what marriage is but how thankful I am 
that, mm-hmm. you know, that I was able to just, yeah, own it and not make any excuses and work to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. So that's really all we can do. And we're all going to make mistakes. But, mm-hmm. you know, what separates the men from the boys is, you know, do we own it? Do, you know, do, you know, the, the three parts, I, uh, you know, when, whenever I, I teach about making apologies, I always, you know, talk about the science behind it. You know, there are three parts to a successful apology. You own it, make no excuses, and ensure that it never happens again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and especially, you know, you, you always tell sailors when they, you know, if they go to captain's master or something like some, some, some sort of NJP or get in trouble, it's like, Hey, just own it. Don't make any excuses and make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's hard. That yeah. is hard because there's all the yeah, buts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. I have PTSD. Yeah, but I was drinking a lot at the time. Yeah, but I was really sick. It's like, no, <laughs> there is no excuse yeah, but are hard. Yeah. Coming, coming through PTSD, getting, getting treatment and getting better. It gives, it gets us back to level playing field so that we can unfuck everything that we fucked up. It gives us a chance. It's not mm-hmm. easy. This is damn, this journey is not easy, but it is so worth it. Yeah. You talk, I, about- I bet it's a relief too, though. You know, it's, it's a relief when you talk about it and you just destroyed a lot of shit. But then when you go back and you talk about it and you try to amend, right? It's that listen piece too, though. Because you always, because you, you, you were running and you doing this and you doing that. But when it's time and and you say your piece and you think it's like, okay, I just said this, I got this eye in the opening. But then once you listen back, and that's when you really realize, like, man, I really fucked some shit up. You know, but and you really don't don't really get it until you look in the eyes and you that listen piece, it really gets you. Yeah. yeah. We talk about that with the scripts about how to talk to our family members about PTSD. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's that's a that that's tough to write and it's tough to read and it's tough to hear and it's tough to do. The most important thing is that listen piece. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, you said shut the fuck up. Right. Shut I think that's what it was in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Because our yeah. PTSD, our you know, our our drinking, our our behavior, it's it, you know, you could have like 20 kids, God forbid. You could have like, you know, five or six kids, <laughs> and it will affect each one of them in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And it's all okay. And it's all okay. It could affect, you know, my mom one way, my other mom another way. It could affect, you know, my sibling this way and another sibling a different way. It's our, you know, it's going to affect people in different ways. And, but we need to have the courage to to start that conversation and really have the courage to listen and, and own it. And digest it because it's part of everyone's healing it's it's tough it's worth it but you don't have to do it alone we got scripts we got scripts they work they literally have worked with hundreds of soldiers and sailors hundreds you know we've got good science if you're not cheating you're not trying you know we've got good data we've got good research let's do what works and go by the numbers and 
you know, with, with our scripts in the soldier's guide, we even say, you know, listen, if you feel like you're not okay, write it down, write it down, just read it, but introduce your elephant. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, it's, yeah, not, you know, we, in the soldier's guide to PTSD, I think my number one goal is to take away all this mystery, take away all this gobbledygook of, you know, medical ease and just like, no shit. What do I do? Mm. What is this? What isn't it? And what do I do about it? What are my courses of action? How do I execute? Yeah. Because and you I, also took away, you also took away some of the bullshit, you know, mm-hmm. like for instance, when you said, uh, I was so happy to read this, but when you said everyone at work has some sort of idea about something anyway, you know, you was talking about HIPAA, HIPAA laws and all that. It's like everybody already knows something. It's some type of water cooler conversation already happening. Mm-hmm. Why was she out of work? Where's she been at for the last three mm-hmm. weeks? Where he been? You know, those things happen. No, we try to act like it's not happening. Tight lips and everybody's talking about it. So the best thing you could do, and you spoke about it, is control your narrative. Control your narrative. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing you talked about in the book that effect that that the uh Pygmalion, I wanna I, th- I hope I'm saying it right. I think it's the Pygmalion effect, uh Robert Rosenthal. So uh when they went to the school and they tested the kids and they Oh, the Rosenthal you know, effect, yeah. 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 They talked to the uh teachers and they told the teachers these kids are gonna be an advanced, you know, group of kids or yeah. whatever. And then the teachers tailored the way they taught to um that that changed like the first time I heard about that was from you. Um, and then I yeah. like went to Newport, Rhode Island, and they talked about it, right? They called it the Pygmalion effect, but it's the same uh, Rosenthal. But it changed so much that I think about when I think about life and expectations. Because um, it, it changed some things I think about, about like just where people grow up, how they grow up, the schools they go to, like all types of things. Um, and it even, even for me sometimes, you know, when I go places, and I might see somebody and it might dictate how my approach is um, like that unmotivated, like seller or something like that. You know, I might tell her my wording a certain mm-hmm. way, you know, then that motivated seller, I might say less like, hey, we need to go do this. You know, the unmotivated seller I might be like, uh, you know, we need to this had to happen, this had, but it's that, it's that same effect. It's expectations, you know, and so that so that touched me that that, you know, that hit me like hard. Yeah, we can control the narrative. It, it, I think, you know, we talk a lot about like, you know, well, how, because like the one thing everyone wants to know is, okay, if, do I have PTSD? If I've got it, what do I do about it? And then what mm-hmm. do I do after? How do I keep from relapsing? So how do, so relapse doesn't just happen with drugs and alcohol. Relapse can happen with anxiety, depression. It can happen with Mm. a bad elbow. Um, That's when we go back to an earlier point. And relapse happens with PTSD. And so we have to talk about that social support. You know, how do we talk to people that we love about our PTSD, the people who deserve our story? And then how do we talk to the people who we don't love about our PTSD? How do we talk Mm -hmm. to maybe that that person in our chain of command who is not very supportive and thinks that I'm full of shit? 
Um, you know, how do I talk to HR if I'm on the civilian side? How do I talk to my boss who already thinks I'm a shit bag because, you know, I've called out a ton of times. So yeah, we've, we've got those scripts, but there is good science behind it. I think it's so important that we're looking at the science. So we look at, at the Pygmalion effect, Rosenthal effect is how I know it. Um, we look at narrative therapy, aspects of narrative therapy, and how do we bring it together? You know, we even look at literature and it's like, how do we bring it together? Because everyone, we want people to root for us. We mm-hmm. want people to root for us. We want people to be on our side. And and we need to have friends. We need to have that support. If I had a nickel for every time I heard something like, you know what, I really want to get help for my PTSD but I'm going to do it on my own. <laughs> it's like, well, shit, can we talk about that for a minute? Can we talk about doing it on your own? So if we could do it on our own, gentlemen, we already would have. Yeah. We already would have, but that is a fantasy. That is a fantasy right up there with like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go back to being a casual, you know, drinker, social drinker. Yeah. Well, you're not. That's, that's that's a fantasy. Stop it. Stop yeah, it. Like, yeah. Like every night is social. I want yeah. my wife. I want my wife. It's a social event. We got Netflix on. But I, yeah, if we could do it ourselves, we would have. We we need yeah. others. That's what the data the data are very clear. Yeah. I got some um some random kind of questions Hit me. Uh, for you. Love it. So first, uh, first for the listeners, I do want y'all to know, I'm going to read a little bit off of uh, this Amazon thing. Uh, so I do want y'all to know Virginia is a licensed professional counselor and national certified counselor specializing in military issues and combat related trauma. She provides crisis intervention and evidence-based treatments for PTSD, moral injury. All right. I'm going to stop right there for a second. Yeah, yeah. Moral injury. Right. Um, let me finish this uh, sentence. Yeah. Depression, combat, operational stress, and other diagnoses. Hey, Damon, plug, keep moral injury like right there for me. Uh, Virginia is a certified clinician in cognitive processing therapy and prolonged exposure therapy and has 20 plus years experience serving active, active duty military veterans, military retirees, and family members. Certified group, psychotherapist, active American group, Psychotherapy Association member. Virginia is an Army Reserve officer, combat veteran, and published researcher. Has an amazing husband, Jay, and a terrible dog, Peanut. Terrible. On and on about terrible dogs, right? But um, moral injury, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Moral injury. It's funny because it was something I wanted to talk about, but then I kind of skipped past it. Moral injury is a trend. Like, I I feel like... um, Really? In the Navy, I feel like moral injury. I remember, um, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and you could kind of correct me on what moral injury is. But you I remember, I think I talk about. It. I think I talk about it on a podcast. But I walked into um, my first watch as an engineer, and uh, I was like, and I came from boot. Camp, well, you know, I came from being a civilian. I had whatever my thoughts were about the military as a civilian. Mm-hmm. It's this great, honest place. Everything is done right in order. Then I went to boot camp. All boot camp does is reinforces that thought, right? Yeah. You make our racks like this. We do this. So then I get to my first ship and I go to my first watch, <laughs> right? And so my expectation on my first watch is that this person is going to take me to every nook and cranny on the ship, show me everything, right? And I get with the guy 
And I'm like, so what do you do? And this is when I learned my first, you know, Navy term I didn't know. It was called gun deck, right? I was like, what do you do? He was like, oh, I just gun deck. I was like, what's that? <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't really, you know, take the round. You know, only round I take is my my last round. And what I thought about more, that that like wasn't what I was about. You know what I'm saying? I was exposed to something different. Am I am I getting it right when it comes to moral injury or not? Well, maybe not when it comes to uh, to gun decking. But so moral mm. injury, so PTSD is a very normal reaction to fear. So our ba- our brain and our body go through kind of these mental and physical acrobatics to keep us safe. So mm. PTSD reaction to uh, to trauma, but. Moral injury is really a reaction to shame. So it's very deeply rooted in shame. And so I love that you talked about, you know, going through, you know, going through training and then, you know, you have this idea there, you know, we all, we come, you know, it take, they call it the service for a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, and there is something simple and very pure about, you know, our Navy values. You know, we never leave a man behind and we always do what's right. And then we, you know, go for our first watch or maybe we get deployed or maybe we experience a sexual assault or we get hazed. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden things are not simple and not pure. And moral injury really just racks at our soul. It is, it is very deep soul damage. So the research is pretty clear. So when it comes to moral injury, it actually has kind of three different subsets. So it's combat loss. So that's when we, we lose somebody. Um, if in this case it's for combat and that's very specific, but I think this would also apply to like training exercises, um, Mm -hmm. perpetration, so this is what the literature calls acts of omission or commission. So this is a big umbrella. Things we should have done, could have done, uh, things we should have known, um, could have done, you know, or, or didn't do. Mm-hmm. And then we have leadership betrayal. So leaders fuck up. We all mess up all the time. But leadership betrayal is especially egregious when... It is, it, it's especially capricious. Um, it's targeted. You know, this type of leadership betrayal is, is really kind of a step above just the regular fuck up. So think about, um, now it seems to be like a feel great officer too, but like a, a young major who always wants to go outside the wire so that they can get some action and get their combat action ribbon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, your convoy gets blown up and you lose a great sailor. Put your people like, in danger. Wow. That's, you know, the kind of leadership betrayal acts of omission or commission. We got to talk about this and it's going to, it's uncomfortable. It's just, we're talking war crimes things. So, you know, war crimes is one of them. So these are things that we did, things that we, we, we should have done, didn't do. So, indiscriminate killing of civilians. And this is happening, by the way, across MOSs, across jobs, across gender, gender identity, across services. This is not, you know, these types of incidents, I think, I think there are a lot, they happen more than we talk about because we don't talk about them. 
mm-hmm. you know, because talking about war crimes, that's a great way to go to jail. You yeah. know, if you, if you, if you are looking to, you know, go to mental <laughs> health and talk about the war crime that you okay. witnessed and see how, see how quickly you get uh questions. Yeah. So it's see how confidential, see how confidential it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, it, not okay. Um, mm. but this is, this is happening, you know, killing of civilians. Um, you know, I, I come from an interrogation world. Um, so we see this unfortunately all over the place with harsh interrogation techniques. They were lawful orders at the time and that, and it really just fucks you up in the end. There's a lot of things that happen in combat and in the military and in life that are not okay. And when we come at it, that's in a way that's pure and in a way that is simple. And we come at those with our, with our ideals and we lose battle buddies. We lose sailors for some capricious bullshit reason. It is really hard to say, you know, well, they died for their country when you're like, no, you died because somebody wanted a ribbon. Mm -hmm. Napoleon famously said, it's amazing what men will do for a piece of cloth. And I, I, right. That one hurts my heart, but it's true. It's amazing what people will do for combat action ribbon or, or, you know, a combat action badge or what people will do for a bronze star. It is amazing what folks will do for, uh, a bullet point. And there is a lot of shit that goes on that is not okay. So moral injury is it's soul damage. It is soul damage because we can't talk about it. Maybe, maybe we signed a non-disclosure agreement. Maybe we made a pact with our unit that we would never talk about what happened because maybe we could be prosecuted for it. Um, and moral injury is, it's, it can be more damaging because what happens in the literature is pretty clear is that we resort to punishing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we we don't, you know, we we can't talk about it. So we'll isolate. We will talk about um, we'll talk about you know isolate ourselves from our family members from our support group because only a monster would fill in the blank. Yeah, combat. You know, when we're talking about leadership betrayal, there's another term that I would want to introduce that I hope will become in vogue, and that's institutional betrayal. Um, and this is this is something that I research that I'm very passionate about. It's by a researcher named Jennifer Freyd, uh, F-R-E-Y is in Yankee, D is in Delta, who's out on the University of Oregon, and she's fucking brilliant. Um, and you probably know her for DARVO, so that's Deny and Reverse Victim and Oppressor. So that, they got a, a South Park clip, very famous, but, <laughs> but her research isn't military-based. Her research is based in um, looking at the college campus system and especially looking at um, schools with a really robust um, football program. And uh, students coming forward and uh, saying, listen, I was sexually assaulted, and then it getting swept right under the rug. So what happened, it, it's a different type of, of betrayal. And the reason why I bring this up is because MST is so prevalent that we ha- it has its own fucking acronym. And it's like, really? 
You know, this is how much MST and military sexual trauma is happening. We gave it its own acronym. Fuck. And so what I think it is analogous research and that um, what these college students were saying is that like, listen, not only did I get raped, was I sexually assaulted, but then I got fucked again by the system. The school went out of its way to discredit me, to disown me, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I love me some sapper and I'm not going to be a hater. But, you know, everybody knows there is a lot of stuff that goes on with sexual assault. And and we will go ahead and perhaps move the person. They'll do like a compassionate, what is it called? Uh, You know, compassionate reassignment or something like Mm -hmm. that. And that is... It's, it's tough, you know, so we're talking about leadership betrayal in that sense, institutional betrayal. Um, so when, but when we're talking about moral injury, moral injury is very specific to a combat, uh, milieu it, you know, they're, mm-hmm. the researchers are talking very specifically about combat. So that's like Jonathan Shea, um, who, and Brett Litz, who, who's out of the um, University, UMass Boston. Um, who just, so that research is very specific, but I think we could open up that aperture and say, wow, mm-hmm. there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of deep hurt that is going on within our military communities, and we don't talk about it a lot. I was thrilled, um, Damo, when you said, you know, it's trending. I was like, oh, shit. Thank God, finally. If there's yep. one thing I would love to trend, it's military mental health. That is like totally my thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, moral injury, I don't think we talk about it a lot because yeah. it's super uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot deeper than me uh, being told to gun deck on my first watch. It's a lot bigger, deeper than that. <laughs> Um, I, so but I think, we ran through. No, I think it's rooted though. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I love your story because it shows how, I mean, gosh, I, oh God, I loved basic training. I was that soldier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, this is awesome. You know, you get to dress yeah. up all day, wear face makeup and sing songs. I was like, this is like theater camp. This is great. Um, <laughs> I loved it. And so, yeah, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's different. It's a different experience when you get there and it's like, oh man, EM2 is a, is, is, is drunk on duty and this guy is doing this. I'm like, oh man, that's different than I thought it would be. But uh, we, we, we talked about, uh, we, we, you know, we waited till the end to talk about a lot of uh, your uh, qualifications and give the rundown, like the tail of the tape. But my question is, do you have any more plans for a uh, Educate like what's next for you when it comes to like education and degrees and stuff? Oh, th- so I'm I'm a PhD candidate right now, mm. and yeah, so I'm gonna get even. Congrats! Yeah, you know, thank you. More letters at the end of my name because, yeah. unfortunately, um, it you know letters matter, and sometimes mm. letters matter more than experience, and that's um that's not okay, but it is what it is. Um, but I think more importantly, uh, we have Acknowledge and Heal coming out on, uh, August 26th. So this is a women's guide to PTSD. It's, 
So I wrote it with a with a author, Katie Salidas. Um, when the Soldier's Guide to PTSD came out uh, in 2021, it was we we got so many wonderful letters, and we got a ton of hate mail too. And uh, and I love me some hate mail because there's passion behind hate mail. And um, one of the the criticisms that we got and and we listened is that listen. This is just too military specific. There needs to be a more hands-on guide, but something that it, it doesn't have all the F-bombs and something I can read with my mom. <laughs> you know, where's something yeah. I can give to my grandma? Where's something that I can give to my school teacher or somebody who is, is not, you know, rough and tumble? And um, and I thought, you know what? That is, that's valid. I own that. You know, that is valid. Is the Soldier's Guide to PTSD is not for everybody. It, it is not. It is not the flavor for everyone, and that is okay. And so, acknowledge and healed. Uh, a woman's focus guide to PTSD is coming out on August twenty sixth, which is International Women's Day. Uh, we're going to be doing a Facebook Live, which is always nerve wracking because mm-hmm. technology. Um, but yeah. thankfully, my co-author is a lot younger and hipper than I am. She's really amazing. And so okay. we're going to be, yeah, don't worry. I got you. I got you, fam. But um, so she, we're going to be releasing that. Um, so with the Soldier's Guide to PTSD, we have a workbook uh, also that's available. And the workbook was really, again, we got great feedback. Um, we heard from folks at the VA who said, you know, I really wish that I had had this, you know, a resource before I went for my compensation and pension exam. So before you get out of active duty, you'll go for your CMP exam, and that's to have your disability rating. And so with the Soldier's Guide, you know, we we made a workbook out of it. So you can, no kidding, go through it and, you know, here's the symptom. What is your experience? Here's the symptom. What's your experience? So you can write things out. So people learn you know, by hearing, hearing, seeing, or doing. And so for those of us who, who need to write it out, uh, we have a workbook available. Uh, we have the Spanish language guide, uh, the guia that'll be coming out at more toward the end of the year. We're shooting for November right now um, because everyone deserves to, to have access to this. And, and mm. just because, you know, English is the the primary language doesn't mean that all of our sailors speak English, nor should they. And that's not what they're speaking at home, uh, you know, when they go on leave. So, you know, everyone deserves access. Accessibility just really matters to me. Accessibility matters and representation matters. And so having a Spanish language guide that'll be coming out in November. And, you know, your listeners can pick up the, they can pick up the, um, the audiobook. Uh, you, the link's going to be in the show notes. And I would also encourage your folks to come to uh, the soldiersblog.com. So at the Soldiers Blog, you can sign up for our newsletter, um, figure out all the all the cool stuff that's coming out. Like right now, we are looking for advanced uh, reviewers for uh, Acknowledge and Heal. So if, if you know anybody who is looking for a free book, you can sign up on our Facebook page. You can sign up at the blog. We've got a lot of cool resources available. You know, the number one thing for us, and I'm speaking for, for our team, you know, over at at the PTSD recovery series, 
we really just believe in accessibility, accessibility and representation and empowering people. And so anything that's going to help me get there, I, I just do not want sailors to make the same mistakes I did. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's why I love about this podcast. You know, you've, you've lived your experience and your passion. Yeah, we fucked up. <laughs> I <sighs> fucked up a lot. I messed up. But sometimes I was like, man, my mom got to hear this. Like my mom listened to every episode. Yeah. It's like, man, she got to hear this shit that I did when I was 23 <laughs> years old. But Jane, I got a, I got one more question yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, first, like I totally admire um, just your intention and purpose behind, you know, what it is that you do and why you do it. It's almost like, like Robin Hood, like, you know, especially knowing you went through it, came back. It's like, yeah, I went through this. I came back to help. It's almost like the analogy that you give at the end of your book that I don't want to spoil for um, any of the readers. So I love um, that you do that. But I'm, I'm, I wonder, like, do you, what do you do for fun? What else do you do? Oh, wow. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> yeah, going, going to graduate school, I spend a lot of time with my family and my dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably an obnoxious amount of time with my dog. He is just the love of my life. But, you know, I, I know it sounds geeky, but I, I just really love what I do. Yeah. I, yeah, to get to pay it forward is such a reward in and of itself. And, and I love it. I love it. I also have great neighbors. I have great friends. Mm -hmm. Oh, I live in South Texas. I'm I'm in on the Texas border in a place called McAllen. We call it the South Pole of Texas. And yeah. um I love it here. I, I live in a border community. I love this community. I love everything that we do and we represent. So, you know, being part of my community, being with my friends here, my family, it's it feels yeah, good. McAllenette. I think I was I was stationed in uh Texas in, in, in Texas. I was stationed in um Kingsville. So I remember seeing the signs to like, you know, the McAllen. I remember that. Yeah, it's like four hours south. Yes. Very, very south. And um, yeah, it's it's faster for me to go to to Mexico than to Costco. Mm. um, (laughs) I love it. I love it. The community here is unbelievable and the food. So when you guys come down, I'll get you fat. I'm ready for it. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for yeah. it. I, I know probably some good barbecue. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what. <laughs> I'm so ready for it. So do you? So you? Do you turn it? Do you ever turn off being a therapist? You ever? Oh like, yeah. Okay. All right. Oh yeah. All right. okay. You know that's funny. People will be like, "Are you analyzing me right now?" And I'm like, "No." Like, yeah. Nothing going on. I um even when I get home, my my husband's amazing, but I'm like, okay, hey, I I need the buffer, like the non-talk buffer. I, mm-hmm. you know, because I've been listening to folks all day and I'm like, babe, yeah. love you. I, I need the I need the buffer. And he's like, Roger that. Yeah, carry on, do your thing. And um, you know, and and it's doing, yeah, I do a lot of things just to unwind every day and every week. So I do a lot of self-care. So I'm part of a therapy group. I really believe in group therapy and I'm a member of an online therapy group. Um, that's been amazing. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I play unnecessarily aggressive games of words with friends 
with my older brother. <laughs> and uh, any yeah. of you who grew up with Scrabble in your household, yeah, that yeah, was my me. house. Yeah, um, you know, I'm really close with my brother, with my cousins. I'm, you know, yeah, but I, I tur- yeah, I turned it off. I zone out a lot. Um, yeah, it's, it, but it, it's, you know, there's time for it and then there's a time to chill. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I don't, I'm not, um, I, in general, I'm not, um, just like, you know, like when I was an interrogator in the army, I wasn't, you know, maybe I was a little too aggressive in asking people questions, but I wasn't interrogating <laughs> them. So yeah, I'm not looking, you know, like, do you want to talk about your mommy issues? Yeah. No, no, it's, it's about having really healthy boundaries too. So, um, my friend had a pillow made, it was like, it was an old timey needlepoint pillow. And, and it said, you know, it said something to the effect of, I'd prefer not to <laughs> like, thank you, but I prefer not to. Yeah. And so I, you know, like my neighbor, she's a little, she's a little out there, but she's like, Oh, so I heard you're, I heard you're a therapist. Will you, will you be my therapist? I was like, hard no kiddo. Hard no. Oh. Like that's a yeah. hard no. <laughs> like, thank you. Let me no, have thank you, you how I have you. <laughs> hey, Virginia, it's been a great conversation. I was looking forward to, you know, talking to you. Um, I'm sure Damon might have another question, but um, I was looking forward to talking to you just because I believe in your mission and I believe it's a lot similar to what our mission is. Yes. And um, that's to kind of give a palatable conversation to people in a way that they could digest it. You know, I know the woman's book is going to be palatable for them. You know, who knows? Maybe, you know, um, one day it'd be a, a book for uh, teens and a book for adolescents. Um, and I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to stick around. I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to try to sneak into the Facebook live, maybe pop my head in there for a second. But uh, I really do appreciate, you know, what you're doing. It's inspirational. Um, a lot of the things you say, a lot of the things you said in the book, a lot of the things you said to me, uh, I've listened to other podcasts that you did. A lot of those things stick, you know, and I appreciate that those are things that you have. And anybody that get to talk to you, they're at least going to hear like two or three of those things and it's going to stay with them, you know? Um, so thank you. And I think it's something that our young sellers really need to hear, you know? So I'm glad you came and and sat with us. I was really, really looking forward to this. And, you know, we sit, we sit down for over two hours, almost every time we talk. Um, I'm glad you was able to sit down for over two hours. It wasn't too much, uh, um, things we had to do first. It wasn't a writer. It was just, Hey, let's sit down, let's talk. And, um, I appreciate that, you know? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, same for me, man. Thank you very much for, for sitting with us. Um, your passion is just like, contagious, contagious. And I love it. <laughs> um, but also, you know, I want to say, you know, for anybody that's listening also, is that like you're not just talking, you can back what you're talking about with research and data. So I love that, man. It, it, we ain't, you ain't just out here just 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 talking, you know, you you can back it up. So I love all that stuff. And like I said again, and thank you for coming on. And um it was a joy. It was a most definitely a joy. Oh, thank you both so much. I I re- I was really looking forward to coming and seeing you because I I do feel like very simpatico, you know, it's it mm-hmm. you guys love your sailors. I mean, that comes across and you really care. I mean, my gosh, can you imagine what your life would be like if you had 
you know, a chief like you. <laughs> yeah. Or mm. <laughs> wow. even, or even like this podcast, or even like that, like, and I hate to say that, right? But are even this podcast, like, damn, if I had something like this, it'd be so much easier. <sighs> You're paying it forward. You're paying it forward. Yeah. And I just, I love what you do. I love your mission. I love your passion. And I just love how much you love the Navy. I think that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. best to your families. And thank you so much for all you do for our community, really. And thank you for caring. Yeah, we we thank appreciate you. you. Free, uh, Y'all better get that free book. You know, y'all that's listening, you know, uh, Virginia is giving away a free book. The book that we've been talking about, this great book that we've been talking about, all podcasts, is going to be free. Um, it's going to be in the episode notes. It's going to be on YouTube in the notes, too. So, again, thanks, Virginia. We appreciate you. Thank you so much.